Amen. Well, it would be my joy if you would join me in Luke chapter 18. We'll be at the end of Luke chapter 18 uh, and pray that the Lord would not just give us ears to hear this morning, but the Lord that would give us eyes to see Jesus, eyes to see the most precious thing in the universe, the most Thing that we sh- the thing that we should be fixated on more than any other thing in the world, and that is in Christ, in Christ alone. So we read this. This is in Luke chapter 18. It says, In taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. And will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. And they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray together. Father, we cry out to you today, Lord, to help us see, not just give us ears to hear, but Lord, give us eyes to see the beauty, the glory, the majesty that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who came as King of kings, Lord of lords, the Messiah that was promised, but not just the King, but Lord, a Savior King who would live for us and die for us and rise again. And Lord, it's my prayer this morning that just as we sang, that this would be the testimony of people in this room today. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Lord, I pray that that would happen to some people for the very first time this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm your people with a fresh sight, a clear sight of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do you remember those mind's eye posters growing up? Those mind's eye posters? You know those posters where you would stare at like a colorful picture, some swirly lines, some circles, It looked like nothing on a page. And then all of a sudden, supposedly, a picture would appear that you could see in the mind's eye poster, like a lion. My sister 
could always do this. We would walk around kiosks this time of year at the mall, and my sister would just go by those posters, and literally she could be like, look, a, a polar bear, or, or look, it's a unicorn, or look, a, a flowing waterfall. And I would see nothing. Anybody else like that? Like, you could look at it all day long. I don't know if I'm colorblind or something, but I could see nothing. I'm not sure what was going on. I'd be staring at it, but my, my mind's eye was asleep. My, my Whatever was supposed to be happening was not happening. And people would try to help me. They would, like, try to get a little closer or, or maybe just stand back or stand sideways or, like, cover your, one of your eyes or whatever it was. Nothing worked. I couldn't see what was hidden. And the same thing happens through, throughout the Gospels with people who come around Jesus. They might spend a lot of time staring at Jesus as he walks through the crowds. They might watch him heal the sick and help the lame to walk and cleanse the lepers. They might even hear him speak about the kingdom of God. Yet for some reason, so many still could not see Jesus. There's a danger for all of us this morning. There, there's a danger for us being around Jesus, being around the things of Jesus. Hearing a preacher talk about Jesus, hearing friends or family members talk about Jesus, singing old hymns that we've sang a thousand times about Jesus, watching a, a baptism or taking the Lord's Supper, reading books about Jesus, and yet not seeing Jesus. Missing out on the glory of Jesus. There's a, a danger of walking into church every single Sunday and yet missing the Messiah. Missing the king that we could behold in all his glory. In our passage this morning, we, we see that this even happened to those who were closest to Jesus. Jesus takes, it says, his 12 disciples, this, this inner circle, the insiders who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, laughed with Jesus, ate with Jesus. And yet here in our passage, they still miss Jesus. The first word that Jesus says to the disciples in our passage in verse 31 is this. See. He's, he's saying, see. More than ever, he wants them to see clearly who he is and what he came to do. And if there was ever a time in the Gospels where he tried to speak clearly so they could see clearly, it was here. In black and white. Verse 31, Jesus says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Remember back in Luke chapter 9, it says this phrase. It says, he set his face. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Since chapter 9, Jesus has, has set his face. He, he has set his heart towards Jerusalem. Literally, he's, 
He's hunting down. He's closing in on the cross. To us, when we read the Gospels, it, it might seem like Jesus accidentally falls into the hands of the Romans. Or, or that he somehow got trapped by the religious leaders with his words when he gets to Jerusalem. But no, don't miss this. Jesus has been fixated on his redeeming work since the beginning. Jesus has been fixed on the cross. Even from the cradle in Bethlehem, the final destination has always been the cross in Jerusalem. I'll say that again. Even from the cradle in Bethlehem, the final destination for Jesus has always been the cross in Jerusalem. Really, even more so, it was planned and promised long before Christmas morning lying in a manger. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Everything will be accomplished. Out of all the titles given to Jesus, the one that Jesus gives himself more than any other is the Son of Man. In fact, the, the crowds don't call him Son of Man as much as Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Well, where does Son of Man come from? It comes from Daniel chapter 7 where, where it says the Son of Man will be given dominion. Be given dominion and glory and a kingdom. A kingdom that will never be destroyed. J Jesus is saying the Son of Man is here. Jesus is saying that all the promises that Jesus made in the Old Testament are going to be kept by me, are going to be fulfilled by me. And look at the remarkable, the incredible detail that Jesus gives about what's about to happen to him in Jerusalem. It's, it's pretty incredible, the detail that he gives. Look here, it says, he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, he will be mocked. He will be shamefully treated. Listen to how specific this is. He's going to be spit upon, flogged, and they will kill him. And listen, on the third day, he's going to rise. On the third day, he will rise. This is not a surprise to Jesus. Listen, Jesus was not surprised by what's going to wait, what's waiting for him in Jerusalem. No, he was ready for it. He was planning for it. Before the foundation of the world, he was ready for the cross. Jesus clearly sees his mission, clearly sees who he is and what he came, came to do. But listen, the disciples couldn't see it. Verse 34 says this, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, the disciples who walked with Jesus and heard these very words from Jesus, had eaten with Jesus, and yet they didn't fully see Jesus. A friend asked Helen Keller one day, asked her one day, isn't it terrible to be blind? 
And Helen Keller responded, better to be blind and see with your heart than have two good eyes and see nothing. Better to be blind and see with your heart than have two good eyes and see nothing. This morning, I want every single one of us to see Jesus. I'm praying that we see Jesus. In fact, this is why we come here. This this is why we come and gather week after week, that we might see Jesus. If you want to simplify why you come here, it's that you might see Jesus. If you've never seen him before, I pray that you see Jesus today. And if you do see Jesus, you do love and treasure Jesus, I want you to see him even more, behold him even more. What a shame it would be to grow up in the church, to to hear your parents sing about Jesus, your parents who know Jesus, to, to hear words about Jesus and yet miss the Messiah and not see Jesus. So this morning, I want us to learn what it takes to see Jesus, how we can see Jesus. And I want to learn this, not from the disciples who keep missing him, but I want us to learn it from a blind man, the the least likely people to see Jesus. I want you to put yourself in this story, to, to put yourself in his shoes, to feel what he feels, to cry out with him and see Jesus. So, so there in your heart, just pray this with me. Pray, Holy Spirit, use this story to help me see Jesus. If you're a kid here today, if you're, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you've been to church your whole life, pray, Holy Spirit, help me see Jesus. The first step to seeing Jesus is you have to know that you're blind. It's knowing that you're blind. See, Jesus on his way to Jericho, he's just outside of Jericho, on his way to Jerusalem, and he's about 17 miles from Jerusalem. Outside of town on this roadside, there begging is a blind man. He's he's probably, since he's a blind man, this is probably not the first day that he finds himself there. The roadside was a popular spot for beggars. It was like their Broadway and the bypass. It was their popular place. So many travelers would be heading up to Jerusalem. They would be going up to the temple. This would be a high traffic area. And you can imagine the helplessness that he felt. You can imagine the the hopelessness of being a blind man. Being blind, he, he didn't have the same opportunities as everyone else. He didn't have the same opportunities to go work in the fields like everyone else. And, and the blind man just didn't have less opportunities. He probably felt like an outcast too. See, a blind man, someone that might have had a disability like that, he He could not enter into the innermost parts of the temple. He couldn't enter into the inner courts of the temple. He he probably didn't even feel like he belonged in his city, in his hometown. And so that's why we find him here 
on the outside of the city. And while he's begging, pleading with those who's passing about by, listen, he's not asking for sight. He's not holding a sign that says, I'll work for vision. He doesn't think anybody has the power to give him that. that. Those days are over. He's come to terms with he is blind. He knows he'll never see again. So typically, he's begging for food because he's hungry or, or money to buy what he needs. It's not that he's oblivious to being blind. It's, not, it's just he knows that nobody can give him sight. They might give him bread. They might give him some coins. But they cannot help him see. Can you put yourself in his shoes today, this morning? Can you imagine not being able to see? Can can you imagine never seeing the ocean? Never seeing a sunset? Can you imagine never seeing the leaves change? Never seeing a starry sky or the moon in the sky? Can you imagine never watching UK beat Louisville? Be sad. Can you imagine never once seeing your mother's face? Never once seeing your mother's face. It would be be sad. It would be heartbreaking. But you would know that other people could see. You, you could hear them describe things around you. You could hear them describe what, it, what the beauty was around them. You could, and you could long for it. You, you could long for what they had to see like they saw. But listen to what Pastor Kent Hughes says this. He says this. There's only one thing worse than blindness, and that is not knowing that you're blind. There's only one thing worse than blindness, and that is not knowing that you're blind. Multitudes, he says, are blind to their darkness, blind to their sin, blind to their destiny, blind to their hopelessness, spiritually out of touch. Listen, the worst, the one thing worse than being blind is not knowing you're blind. It's to be blind. It's to be immersed in darkness and to not know that there's this beautiful thing called light. To not know that there is beauty to be to behold, that that there's glory to be consumed with your eyes, that there's colors, that there's oceans, that there's stars, that there's your mother's face that you could see. In the same way, the only thing worse than being a sinner is not knowing that you're a sinner. It's to be a sinner who's fallen short of the glory of God, and yet you think you're okay. A sinner falling short of the glory of God and and yet not to know that there is a Savior named Jesus. To to not know that there's a joy waiting for those who who are forgiven, for those who are free, for those who find Jesus. 
So the first day, the, the first step to seeing Jesus today is to know that you're blind. Or actually to know that you are a sinner. The second step to seeing Jesus would be finding the real Jesus. Finding the real Jesus. Remember up to this point, the blind man's only been begging for food and money. There's never been one time that he's asked someone passing by to help him see. Yet today, there's a commotion. There's a commotion coming into town. He can hear it. He can't see it, but he can hear it. There's an excitement in the air. So, so he asks some people walking by. Maybe it's a little kid that's running by, and he says, what's going on? Why all the commotion? Why the parade coming into town? And notice specifically what someone in the crowd says. In verse 31, it says, they say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Jesus right then is is still associated with where he's from. To to them, he's just a, a small town guy with a big reputation from the little town called Nazareth. The crowds, yes, they were growing because of Jesus' reputation for healing and teaching. But most people, as you hear in the crowd, most people still just see him as a great man, as a good teacher. He's still Jesus from Nazareth. Yet the blind man grasps the real Jesus. Do you hear what he cries out? He cries out, Jesus, son of David. Not Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is messianic language. This this is language for the king who was going to come. The king who they were long-awaited king who would come and who would sit on the throne of David forever. Listen to 2 Samuel 7. Listen to this promise that the Lord makes David. It says this, When your days are fulfilled... And you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So while everyone else sees Jesus of Nazareth, the blind man sees Jesus, the son of David. This is crucial if we're ever going to see Jesus. This is crucial if you're ever going to see Jesus. You might have grown up in church your whole life and not see Jesus, but we must find and believe in the real Jesus. Jesus is not just a good man who did some good deeds while he walked on the earth. Jesus is not simply Jesus of Nazareth, who was a good teacher, who had some good lessons that we could learn and obey. No, Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised king, the promised king of kings, Lord of lords, who would come and who would reign forever. And not just reign forever, but he would come and hang on a cross in our place and rise again. If we miss the real Jesus, we will never see his glory. 
And we will never worship Him rightly. We will never surrender our lives. If He's just a good man, if He's just a great teacher, then we'll yawn and leave and go to El Mazatlan. But if we really see Jesus, if we see Jesus as the King, the King of kings and Lord of lords who would come and not just come to live, but come to die for us and rise again. Then there'll be worship. Then there'll be surrender of our lives. The third step to seeing Jesus is to cry out to Jesus. The blind man who feels his desperate situation Not that he's hungry, but that he cannot see. This this blind man who knows that this is not some neighbor from Nazareth. This is the promised king. Oh, he cries out from a heart of desperation. Did you hear him? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. See, once you know you're desperate, And once you find the king, the next thing you do is you cry out. You cry out for mercy. You pray from desperation for Jesus to give you not what you deserve, which is judgment, which is punishment, which is hell, but to give you what you don't deserve, grace and mercy. If you notice in the story, the surrounding crowds are pretty fed up with this man, like with his cries again and again, with his loud persistence, with his desperate determination. I mean, he's getting louder and louder. They, they says here, they start to rebuke him. They rebuke this outcast. They're like, hey, you need to shut up. You need to be quiet. Quit bothering Jesus. Jesus is busy. Yet I love this. Listen to what the Bible says. He cried out all the more. They tried to silence him, and the Bible says, He cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He he cries, he continues to cry out again and again, as though this might be the only time Jesus will ever be near him again. As though this is... The only time Jesus might pass by. See, the truth is you can't silence desperation. You can't silence desperation. You can try, but it's impossible. You can't hinder someone that feels helpless. That feels Hopeless for someone who feels hungry and knows that there's bread of life, for someone that feels thirsty and yet they've come to the fountain where there's living water. If your heart is desperate for healing and you know there's a healer nearby, what are you going to do? You're going to cry out. You're going to cry out. Listen, if you see your sin clearly, if you see rightly that you are worthy of hell, but then you hear there's a Savior named Jesus, silence is not an option. If you see that you're a sinner, but there is a Savior who can save you from your sins, silence is not an option. You will cry out to Jesus. 
I love what Haddon said on his video, that the weight of his sin on that Christmas Eve night when he got home, he said, you heard him, only thing he could do was cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, are you desperate this morning? Are you desperate this morning? Like this blind man who knows someone can help him see. Like the woman who was fighting through the crowds with the issue of blood just to touch. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, that would be enough. Are you desperate for Jesus? The crowd said Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, but, but he's desperate for Jesus not to pass him by. His desperate cry, his only prayer was that today the sun might stand still. That, that Jesus, the Christ, would stop for him. That Jesus, the Christ, might have compassion, might be moved with mercy, might stop for him. You know, Fanny Crosby was a, a famous hymn writer. She was a a famous hymn writer who was blind since a little, she was a little girl. I've been reading her autobiography lately. And Fanny Crosby, I can't help that she was thinking of this very story when she wrote this hymn. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. I can almost see the blind man sitting there. Jesus, please do not pass me by. Please do not pass me by. Please do not pass me by. Jesus, see me here. Move towards me. Jesus, do not pass me by. And we see in verse 40, it says this. And Jesus stopped. The Son stood still. The Son of God, filled with compassion. He commands someone, bring the blind man to me. Can you imagine sitting there blind, knowing, I don't know if Jesus hears me. I don't know if he sees me. Can you imagine someone tapping him on the shoulder, tapping you on the shoulder? shoulder and them saying Jesus wants you Jesus wants to see you notice the blind man doesn't ask this time for food or money he asked let me recover my sight face to face with the king of kings you ask Jesus what Jesus alone can do for you Lord help me see Lord Help me see. Oh, we could ask this morning for Jesus to do so much for us. We pray all the time for Jesus to, to do a lot of things for us. We, we ask, Jesus, can you heal me from this sickness? Jesus, can you heal me from this disease that I've had since I'm little? Lord, can you help me find a job? Lord, can you help pay my bills? Lord, can you help my friends and family? Help me make friends. We, we pray so many things, but our greatest need, our, our deepest cry should be, Jesus, 
Will you save me from my sins? Jesus, I'm blind and I want to see your glory. Would you show me mercy and show me, Jesus, show me yourself. The final step, the final step, once we know that we're blind, once we found the real Jesus, once we cry out for mercy, the final step is simply seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus, and that changes everything. Jesus, hearing his desperate cry for mercy, says this to the man, recover your sight, your faith has made you well. In the Greek, in the original language, it's one word. Simply, see. With one word, Jesus changes literally everything about this man's life. It's incredible. The, the mercy of Jesus, Jesus moves towards him. The power of Jesus heals him with one word. With one word. Think about it. Before Jesus says... The word see, he's still blind. But before the end of the sentence, he's beholding his Savior's face. Before he starts the sentence, he cannot see. But by the period, he can see Jesus. And once you see Jesus, everything else takes care of itself. Listen, once you behold the glory of Jesus, once you see Jesus as the only Savior, once you collapse all your faith, all your hope, all your trust on Jesus, everything else in your life falls into place. We see it in verse 43 because it says, Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. Immediately he follows Jesus. Immediately he glorifies Jesus. That's what happens when you see Jesus. Seeing Jesus rearranges everything else. Seeing Jesus recalibrates everything else in your life, realigns everything in your life, reprioritizes everything in your life. This man who used to be the blind man outside of the city is now the disciple of Jesus. Everything has changed. That's what happens when we see Jesus. Believing the gospel, seeing Jesus Christ reorders how you see everything else. That the gospel by nature is recalibrating. It rearranges stuff. So this morning to the unbeliever that's here, you, maybe you've never believed in Jesus, maybe you've never seen Jesus, do you this morning see that you are blind? That you are a sinner apart from Jesus? Do you see that Jesus is more than just a good man, more than just a good teacher? Do you see that he's the promised king of kings who is both savior, to, who saved you from your sins on the cross, and the Lord who reigns over your life? If you see that, now all you have to do is cry out for mercy that you might be forgiven of your sins. To cry out, Jesus, save me 
from my sins. Too often, this is what we do in the church. We want to try to go clean up people's lives and tell them what sin they have to let go of before they come to Jesus. Clean your life up, and then you can come to Jesus. But the first step that they need, the thing they need more than anything else, is to see Jesus. Because seeing Jesus rearranges everything else. Seeing Jesus changes everything else about your life. If you're a believer here this morning, keep looking at Jesus. Help you simplify your Christian life. Keep looking at Jesus. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, keep looking at Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Looking at Jesus. One French, one French preacher, Theodore Minaud, said this about looking at Jesus. He says, only three words, but in those three words is the whole secret of life. In those three words, looking at Jesus is the whole secret of life. Brothers and sisters, Look at Jesus. Today, that's why we've gathered here, to look at Jesus. This is why we gather on Sundays, to look at Jesus. But, but what does a Christian do on a Monday? You look at Jesus. You, you keep looking at Jesus. When, when temptation seems too heavy, Keep looking at Jesus. When the things of this world seem to look beautiful, seem to shine and glitter like gold, keep looking at Jesus. Never grow tired of looking at Jesus. Make it the priority of your life, the, the non-negotiable every single day. Keep looking at Jesus until you look like Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus till the day that you see his face. Because 1 John says, when we see him, we will be made like him. For we will see him as he is. That's the goal of the whole Bible. At the end of Revelation, it says that we will see his face. You know, Fanny Crosby wasn't born blind. She was, when she was a little kid, about Eight to ten weeks old, she had an infection, had a cold. It made her eyes cloud up, made them foggy. And a young doctor in town came through and put some salve, put some stuff, ointment on her uh, eyes. And she lost her vision from a young age. And later in life, a minister was talking to Miss Crosby. And she said, he said this to her, I I think it's a great pity that the master, when he showered so many gifts upon you, did not give you the gift of sight. And Miss Crosby said, do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition to my creator, it would have been that I could be born blind. And the minister, surprised, said, why would that be? And Fanny said, because when I get to heaven... The first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be the face of my Savior. Is that the greatest joy of your life? 
Is that the greatest joy of your life? Seeing and beholding Jesus. Seeing the face of Jesus that rearranges and recalibrates and reprioritizes everything else in your life. Is that the longing of your heart? That you will see his face. That seeing Jesus is unlike anything else. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us. Oh, Lord, would you help us this morning like you helped the blind man. That, Lord, you would expose the blindness of our hearts, Lord. If there are those who are stuck in their sin, Lord, enslaved to their sin, Lord, show them, expose their sin that they can see, Lord, the darkness that the sin is. And Lord, would you show and reveal the beauty and the glory of the real Jesus, the one who is not only King of kings and Lord of lords, but the Savior who came to be turned over to the Gentiles, to be beaten and flogged and ridiculed and mocked and spit upon, and who would die on that cross for our sins, but yet three days later rise again, that we might be made alive, that we who are blind might be able to see. And Lord, would you help us? Would you stir up within us desperation this morning? Lord, for the unbelievers and believers alike, Lord, would you make us desperate for Jesus? Would we cry out today afresh and anew, Lord, we want to see Jesus. We want to see you. We want to behold your glory. We want to behold you and become like you. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, would you say, let there be light that we might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, that it might change everything. Lord, we pray this for your glory and our joy. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen.